0: Welcome to another episode of the Pharma Forum podcast. In this installment, I speak with Randall Hein, Life Sciences advisor and CEO of Hindsight LLC, and Crystal Bundemeer, health sciences marketing expert and CEO of Score Marketing. Our conversation travels through the landscape of health sciences marketing from pre-pandemic through COVID and into the tentative environment of post-pandemic marketing in the field today. Thus, guiding us through their respective journeys taken to their specialisms of today, brought into partnership with each other by school's founder, actually, Cinder Orr, we discuss how value can be found while tight marketing budgets continue and later stage trials and commercialization are focused on instead honing in on the trend for outsourcing. Such a funding environment, of course, results in pretty great prospects for biotech and smaller companies. And so we explore how investment challenges can be approached in that respect too. All in all, I hope you'll agree that there's some interesting and useful information from our discussion. And as ever, thank you for listening. This is web editor, Nicole Raleigh. And today I have with me life sciences advisor, Randall Hine, who is CEO of Hindsight LLC, and with him, I have health sciences marketing expert, Crystal Buntmeer, who is CEO of Score Marketing. Welcome both. Thank you. Thank you, Nicole. Today, we're going to be discussing the trends and changes for health sciences marketing over the past few years, a landscape that, as most will probably agree, is continually evolving. But before we get into the nitty-gritty of budgets and comparative trends, I was just wondering if you could tell me a bit more about yourselves, your respective journeys into advisory and marketing roles, respectively, within the health and life sciences industries. So perhaps, Crystal, could you begin? Sure. I joined this industry uh,
1: about 17 or 18 years ago, and I am marketing educated by background. And I knew I wanted to go into healthcare of some kind. And I met Cinda Orr, the founder of Score Marketing. And I began learning about the drug development industry and this whole other side of healthcare and life sciences that um, I knew nothing about prior. And it was very fascinating to me. And so I spent a lot of time digging in and and learning and um really found the really the challenge of marketing in a highly scientific um you know somewhat uh you know conservative but how can we be creative and how can we come outside the box and I found all of that to be a challenge I greatly enjoyed and and learning beside Cinda and, and Benro are creative director and founder, um, we all just had a passion for it. And, um, you know, I put Randall on that journey as well, who I met, uh, maybe now nine, 10 years ago, and Randall has a long history with, with score as well. And so we, we were able to partner and work together. Um, and so there's just continual learnings. Um, and so today, you know, as CEO, i I have the opportunity to lead our team um to work with you know global companies that are are doing good and 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 progressing research and helping them um, be known in the space and show their unique value and and that's something that myself and
0: my team gets excited about every day. So thank you for that. Um so Randall, how about you? So nine or ten years that you've uh, known Crystal and been working with Crystal. What was your journey uh, into what you do today?
2: Somewhat similar to Crystal, I wasn't uh, didn't get into the industry by design. I mm-hmm. was originally a management consultant, and I worked a lot in process workflow systems and uh, ergonomic redesign of workspaces. And I found myself with a few clients in the pharmaceutical industry and became really interested in what it was all about and ultimately joined a small CRO where I actually met the original founder of uh, SCORE Marketing. Her name was Cinda Orr and uh, had the opportunity to be exposed on the marketing side, but also on the operational side. So I've been in the industry now for over 25 years. I have spent most of my time on the execution side. So I've conducted clinical research trials, overseeing clinical research sites, uh, overseeing statistics, uh, biostatistics, pharmacokinetics, uh, scientific data groups, um, uh, organization of medical teams, uh, primarily with uh, CROs in the industry. And then uh, after a journey through a number of those, uh, found myself more on the business side. Um, and uh, ultimately, my last industry role was um, a corporate development officer for Advara, which is an ethics board as well as a broad-based technology and regulatory compliance group and also served with them as uh, president of the regulatory and compliance group Um, and spent as I mentioned a lot of time in the CRO industry and my last industry role there was senior vice president at a large uh, CRO called PRA which is now part of ICON. Mm -hmm. Uh, For the last three years i primarily worked as an industry advisor and consultant So I work a lot with private equity companies, particularly in the pharma services space. Um, So a lot around technology, patient engagement, um, real world evidence, real world data, uh, helping them navigate the landscape and thinking about investments. And I also work with emerging life sciences companies as an advisor, helping them to navigate the space. That's a pleasure to be here today and I look forward to our conversation.
0: Oh, Thank you, Randall, it's a pleasure to have you. Pleasure to have you both. Right. So thank you very much for those sort of self-introductions. And taking from that the, the healthcare element, the pharma element, let's now focus on what we're here to talk about today, which is finding value as tight marketing budgets continue within the health sciences marketing sector. So let's talk about those budgets. Budgets are continuing to decrease for everything this year, and marketing budgets for the health sciences industry are no exception. In fact, marketing budgets have been found to still lag behind pre-pandemic levels. So I was just wondering if one or both of you could share your insights on why that is. i'll go I'll go first here. You know, budgets, um,
1: as you stated, have certainly been challenged, and the market and funding in drug development and life sciences has had a great effect. And I'm going to allow Randall to go into that um, a bit more here in a moment. I know he'll have great insight, but, you know, when we talk about, well, why are they lagging behind pre-pandemic levels, right? Why are marketing budgets um, there? And, and uh, you know, I have a few thoughts on that. I think that during tight times, we often see there can be somewhat of a knee-jerk reaction to really, you know, have marketing be seen as optional versus necessary. and have I have a lot of thoughts on that. but, um you know, organizations often put their that first investment maybe in building out bD as the first move, you know, helping to close those revenues, right? So I think that we I know we have seen that occur. Um, the other thing is after, you know, overall, after the pandemic, companies went into a stabilization mode is what we observed. We saw companies that were, you know, uncertain about the business direction. They were trying to make decisions about the future, and so things stalled and were put on hold, and including budgets. And um, you know, they're still regrouping, right? Struggling with how to reallocate budgets, and and coupled with today's marketing, and so you know, think the trade show landscape has changed greatly, digital, and so. Overall, I think these factors have caused a reduction in spend. Um, so it, it's a few different factors. But Randall, I'll maybe let you comment on the market.
2: Sure. A- absolutely. You know, it, it definitely there was an impact during the COVID years. And now what I would say is that there's continuing pressure just in the general economic environment. And what you tend to see in the life sciences industry is a particular shift when things get tighter from effort and money into discovery and early phase into later phase and commercialization. Mm -hmm. And uh, and for obvious reasons where uh, pharmaceutical companies want to get a return on their products and you have a decrease in funding for biotech and some of these smaller companies. So I think that has a little bit of a roll-on effect uh, in the organization coming out of COVID, now some additional economic pressure, a lot of the small to mid-sized companies not having the funding that they needed points to a lot of the things that uh, Crystal has pointed out, there's a prioritization of where you put your money. Mm -hmm. And it tends to default into, well, we'll hire some more business development people. And I think one of the things we'll talk about today, hopefully, is that what that's missing is the link between what the benefit and and what is needed for marketing to bring in those qualified leads so the salespeople actually have something to sell. (laughs) And so with my clients, a lot of times I'll still see them investing in business development people. It takes them six months to 12 months to become effective and they're ignoring the part that's important that is the fuel that feeds that uh, in terms of marketing leads that come through the funding. Uh, The good news in all this is that you generally have seen this bounce back after my 25 years in the industry uh, I've always seen things balance back out and all those projects and discovery programs that have been gated usually come back in a big spike. So I would anticipate that as the, the, if the market remains stable, you'll see that bounce back uh, and coming back to a level where there'd be a big bolus of work that's coming through uh, in the early phases and then the industry back to its traditional you know, 3 to 5% annual growth moving forward.
0: Okay, thank you. Right. So let's look at some figures. There's lots of concepts going around there and positive concepts in amongst a sort of maybe negative with words like stalled and hiatus and stuff like that. So during 2022, 39 percent of companies surveyed in an annual health and life sciences marketing trends report said they invested two to five percent of annual revenue into marketing spend. And about 66% of these respondents outsourced some or all of their marketing work. Additionally, about two-thirds or 66% of respondents outsourced some or all of their marketing work to an external marketing agency. And market research and website development are the areas found to have most likely been outsourced to an agency. So perhaps you could comment about that, how that's sort of connected to coping mechanisms, as it were. Uh, in the economic environment in which these companies are finding themselves currently,
1: so the first, the first uh, data point there around the spend percentage, you know, it it really aligns with a marketing rule of thumb that we use. We also use this annual survey um, findings to ensure that you know we're we're aligned, and and it is showing. Um, This allocation, our recommendation was is three to five percent, right? So the data has that two to five percent range, and um, that's really three to five percent of your projected sales to annual um, marketing as the run rate. So if you are rebranding or you're integrating companies, post an M and A or a new product service launch that's really an addition. And so just just for some context to how we um you know our our best practice recommendations. Now, you've got about um you know 40% that are in that right range. There's another third of the companies at that 1% or less. And that means that they're likely not going to make an impact. They're flying under the radar. They're they're below that minimum threshold and when you get there you just you you're putting money in, but you're not at the threshold that is you're going to see really a a return on investment, and that's usually what we're helping our customers navigate. You know, there's a there's a blog um, that our president wrote recently on um, marketing during economic downturns, and it has numerous case studies, both from from B two B as well as B two C, going back to you know the a case study on Kellogg's and post cereal, right. And what they did, you know, during a similar time and the outcome. And really the, the reference to that is that when the noise levels drop, when your competitors become more cautious or complacent, simply remaining consistent and present and vocal can yield major dividends in the long run. And so that's really what we um, are helping our clients through right so that they're still keeping front of mind customers. Um, they're projecting an image of stability, right? If you pull everything out and you and you vanish, you know, what does that portray in terms of your organization's stability? And so we're, we're help guiding our clients to find that right balance. And so, you know, how you're present in vocal, you know, really needs to be looked at strategically. And that just depends on where you're, you know, where the organization is. Are they, you know, do they have name and brand recognition in in the industry? If not, we focus there. Um, You know, are they, you know, they have that name recognition. Now they're needing to really drive leads and fill their funnel. Okay. We've got some campaigns and some proven mechanisms um you know paid search and paid linkedin that have been very effective paired with content the other place to assess you know that we talk a lot about is that lead conversion and so i think sometimes when you think of marketing it's not the first thing you think of but if you have um you know you have leads in the funnel but they just haven't been nurtured through that funnel right let's really get marketing and bd working closely and and bring those leads through down the funnel to a meeting. And so those are things that um, you know, some of the first places that we'll go when we look at, okay, let's have a consistent investment and a voice, but how do we do that strategically? So I don't know. I might let Randall, I don't know if you want to comment on that. And then I know there's the second part around outsourcing. So
2: Yeah, I would just absolutely reiterate the tighter connection between qualified leads, and the impact on sales. And having spent a lot of time in board meetings with various companies and thinking about how um, businesses view the funnel that comes through, a lot of times it's a little myopic, and they stop at the client facing component of business development and believe that's the way that you can measure and retain and get ROI. What they don't spend enough time doing is bringing some discipline to understanding where the qualified leads are actually coming from and the roi of those different levels of investment that you can make in marketing in various modes whether that be social media whether that be just a general background branding um, and bringing discipline to understanding where your customers are coming from and how to reach them which then convert into leads and so i think in these uh, challenging times as we talked about before Um, we lose a little bit of the forest for the trees and thinking about the value of marketing and the spend for marketing and the true impact that has on the other side. Part of it is just a change in mindset. And I think part of it is a little bit more discipline and working with good providers internally and externally that can really measure that ROI uh, Mm -hmm. and bring as much focus on what new proposal came in, put that same focus on how many qualified leads are coming in and through what channels and redirect your resources there. And I think that as Crystal pointed out, if you do that, you will find that effort in marketing will more than pay for itself on the other side, as opposed to just looking at marketing as one of those things that is optional or disposable uh, when uh, economics are a little bit tighter.
0: Okay, thank you for that. So quality being a key word in order to have this true understanding so if we take everything we've been discussing thus far and go forward to a comparison of 2022 to 2021 marketing trends and spends, in 2022, Drug Development Services or DDSs, um, they invested the most in trade shows and, as you were saying, uh, sort of the add-ons, website apps and interact development and CDMOs also increase their allocation for trade shows in social media, while sponsors allocated the most in content creation. However, if we go further, more than one third, or 37% of respondent companies to the survey mentioned previously, increased their marketing investment in social media specifically between the years 2021 and 2022, while DDS companies' ratings for YouTube and Twitter both trended upwards between not only 2021 and 2022, but 2020 to 2022. So if we look at this behavior uh, more broadly, is this a post-pandemic response or is there something deeper going on underneath? Both. Okay. (laughs) Both is the answer. So I'm going
1: to break it down a little bit. Um, I say both because there's some of these, like website development. I remember sitting in my home office. And, you know, we were saying, okay, what are the, what are the top things that we can support our clients in right now? Right. And in this COVID time, and, and we were saying, invest in your website. Let's get, that is the place, right? That is, that is your representation today. That's the only option. We can't go be together. So We were at mock speed, (laughs) uh, you know, really making uh, enhancements to websites. And so I, I understand that one, but I also know that today a website experience is so central and critical. So it's still right. I mean, we are driving to these websites um, to help educate and inform in that whole buyer's journey. And, you know, you're staying up on algorithms, you're staying up on guidelines and things that are changing. So I think that one's staying. You know, social media, it's it's, it's really similar. Now there, again, maybe an uptick because that was what we had to utilize, right? Um, during COVID times but social media has become so much more sophisticated for you know b2c and linkedin now allows targeting by industry company title and it's a top performing mechanism um so you know they're evolving youtube was on the list i know i mean that's there's consistent performance on use of video so it's both trade shows you know i know trade shows was on the list and Trade shows are still very uncertain. And I think that in 2022, we saw some companies open back up spend in hopes that the return of trade shows was here. And I would, you know, I think that the return on investment is still questionable on some of the historical, very large shows. Right. And so um, our customers are seeing a lot of benefit in the small events, um, things that are highly content-based, right? Things that are bringing together the decision-makers um, in a smaller setting, um, being more mindful of their time. So that's what I saw um,
0: out of that data. Okay, and Randall, do you have anything to add to that? Or?
2: A general comment. Um, I think in the drug development services side, It makes sense coming out of COVID that people spent a lot of time investing in social media. They couldn't get in front of their companies um, as much as they could previously. But as they did that, and as things have evolved over the last two or three years in the social media landscape, I think it's also become a more attractive place to put funds and a more attractive place to find customers. And when you think about some of the tools now that are available, even in terms of AI, thinking Mm -hmm. about how you can strip information from various sources. It's a little easier to spend money around various places in social media and find that point of ROI and find that point of return, and then very in a very targeted manner uh, reallocate those marketing dollars um, to those aspects that make sense. And you can often do that in incremental chunks that don't blow your entire marketing budget, as opposed to your point around sponsors who are still spending a lot around content. It's because they're product focused. Mm-hmm. And so. It's a little bit different mindset. It's a, it's a different approach in how the money is spent, but I would continue to uh, expect to see drug development organizations uh, taking that more adventuresome approach, looking at novel ways of reaching their customers, um, doing smaller projects in different areas, and then looking at the ROI and reallocating dollars. So I think that is uh, compounded by COVID, but really is also supplemented by some of the changes in in marketing and some of the new tools that are available in in the marketing technology over the last couple of years.
0: Okay. You've actually touched upon my next question, which was, what are we going to be seeing going forward in 2023? Um, And then, you know, trends, predictions for 2024 and beyond, if possible. I mean we've been talking about social media and I know I should have called Twitter X at this point. And then we've got <laughs> threads coming up. I don't know if you wanted to say anything about threads or TikTok even. I mean, what's it going to be like going forward? It's just going to get more and more seemingly, isn't it?
2: Do you want to take that, Crystal, or you want me to jump Yeah,
0: there? well, you know, um, at
1: Randall's point on on all of the marketing technology, I mean, it's you know, at the the greatest it's ever been. And and I think, you know, we can talk, I mean, about AI, but I think in terms of um TikTok and threads, right? I mean, we have we have customers that are certainly dabbling into Instagram and maybe a bit into TikTok. Um, but you I mean, you also have to keep in mind, I think there's a difference between, I mean, it's always who's your target audience, right? Mm-hmm. And so are we talking about senior members at pharma are we talking about patients are we talking about caregivers i mean so you have to lo- utilize those based on the audience and you know i think that threads is still early and there's still a lot we we're, we're learning about it um but i think put it in the camp with you know with all of the ai really um being tools that support right i mean they're they're supporting discovery and research undoubtedly for marketing um but still being able to put that unique human thought leadership into a piece of content if you will or an output still remains so there's a lot of discussion you know about how we're going to utilize it and 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 we should, and we will, but it won't be a complete replacement. So it can't be, at least from our assessment today. So, Randall?
2: Yeah, maybe I'll just hit what I see as a couple of macro trends in Mm -hmm. drug development. Uh, One we touched on a little bit, which is uh, the use of AI. And it's probably overused already (laughs) as a term in the industry that everybody refers to. But there is great potential for AI to be incorporated into the workflow of existing systems, in my view, as opposed to a replacement of systems. And one of the biggest challenges in drug development is around the collection, the synthesis, and the analysis of data and diverse data sets. And that's very much where AI has a sweet spot in the ability to accelerate tasks. And let me give you uh, one or two quick examples. you could see how AI could be used to streamline data verification and the processes for clinical trials as data is being gathered from the sites. Right now, that's very people-intensive, time-intensive, a lot of oversight to look at that. You know, why not use AI in that workflow system to reduce the burden and have more targeted reviews and analysis? Uh, AI is already being used for targeted identification, for example, for the identification of new, new compounds. So I really do see it over time as a tool that comes in and transforms the industry. And I do also see a marketing bet here because people are gonna to have to figure out how to differentiate what they mean when they talk about AI uh, and how that actually uh, applies to their products or their services that they, they have in the system. So uh, still a ways off in my view. I think you still have to train uh, and, or teach uh, AI to do discrete tasks, but I do see that as a continued emerging trend. Uh, One of the other trends that you see coming out of uh, COVID were decentralized or hybrid clinical trials. Uh, I believe you'll continue to see that trend. There there has been some contraction, honestly, and I think that that's not due because people don't see the benefits in hybrid or decentralized trials. I think it's because they are complex to set up and run. And there was such an explosion of a number of different providers in the space so many different technologies that don't necessarily talk with one another. I think that the sponsors and pharmaceutical companies have taken a little bit of a step back and said, uh, maybe we have to balance out our priorities and have shifted back to a little bit more traditional way of doing things. So I would see now that industry perhaps consolidating uh, a little bit more. I would see some of the decentralized clinical trial companies diversifying their uh, service sets. So they're a little bit more comprehensive, they can be more of a one-stop shop as opposed to an add-on with three or four different vendors. And I would see the other trend really in interoperability. So mm-hmm. it's still one of the overriding existing problems in, in drug development is that all of all the vast systems that are out there, they just don't talk with one another. And, and how do we um, come to the point where these systems can uh, interact in a more efficient way? Uh, I'll throw one more out there that I think is is really important, and that's the focus or macro trend around patient centricity. And if you look over the past couple of years, or in fact, the history of the tools that are used in drug development, so much effort is put into the technology. And so you hear all about CTMSs and eSource and eRigs and ePros and eCoAs. I mean, you could list all the acronyms of the technologies that go into clinical research, but could you list that many that are actually associated with patient centricity and what involves them and engages them in their patient journey not just in clinical trials, but from the point that they're investigating um, perhaps uh, their disease for themselves or for their family, uh, thinking about how they could become advocates, perhaps participate in clinical trials, and then all the way through uh, from uh, that into commercialization. And you can see the connections there in terms of adherence and better outcomes and and all sorts of other things that could be packaged up. So I, I do see a wave coming Uh, that there will be much more focus on that. And it's complementary to decentralized clinical trials because you're reaching patients wherever they may be uh, in the, the clinical trial landscape.
0: Thank you for that. Yes, three very poignant macro trends there. I just, yeah, I mean, from a sort of journalistic perspective, we heard a lot about DCTs at the start of the year. So it's interesting to hear about this tailing and trailing off Of a sort of uh, emphasis on that because we've noticed it also from a journalistic point of view. Um, I just want to touch upon now, throughout all this, we've been talking about facts and figures and trends and what ifs, but what has been the actual impact of private equity funding, Randall? Could you tell me more about that?
2: Sure, absolutely. If if you look at it at a high level, um, and sometimes uh, high level numbers are misleading. But uh, Deloitte, for example, would report in 2023 that pharma services m activity is roughly flat in 2023 or uh, 2022. Venture deals are down about 20%. But I don't know if that tells the whole story, because a lot of that volume is driven by pharmaceutical companies buying other pharmaceutical companies. Mm-hmm. And so underneath that, if you look at the subsector of Um, the pharma services, the drug development companies that are supporting that, I think you see a bit greater impact in terms of the funding that's coming through with a lot more crunch coming in venture capital in the early companies where it's tougher to find funding and uh, a bit of a decrease also in, um, say, lower to middle market investment uh, companies and a lowering of the multiples. So as you might expect, general economic changes, debt is much more expensive, Uh, Private equity firms are much more concerned about the value creation plans and how they get their return in three, four, or five years. And that's a little bit more uncertain now than it was uh, two or three years ago. So, what I really see is a focus a lot more on the robustness of financials. And a couple of years ago, you could come with good growth projections or good top line and secure a very good multiple. What I see now is there's a lot more focus on profitability and again on that value creation plan. And if you don't have those elements, you're not likely to command the valuations that you were able to get one to two years ago. Another trend that I've noticed is a lot of the smaller companies that are say are on the cusp of their next raise, so maybe they're going to uh, their second or third round, are delaying a little bit the process we're seeking that funding to make sure that 2023 really bounces back and is solid for them and are getting by either with what they have or taking on some short-term debt with the idea that the economy will continue to pick up or at least remain stable. And then uh, people, for the most part that I've spoken with, are expecting that 2024 will be pretty solid, but will ramp up over the year. Um, So, just uh, a few of the trends uh, that I've seen there, but certainly a lot more focus on uh, the financial profitability, things like customer concentration, um, uh, the future looking uh, forward growth, where it's a little bit more selective and a little bit of depression of the valuations uh, for a lot of these organizations.
0: Thank you, Randall. And Crystal, did you have anything to add to sort of 2024 predictions and beyond? Yeah, I mean, I think
1: that I would expand on a couple of points that Randall included, you know, as he noted, the focus on the value creation plans, um, you know, that translates into our world of marketing where we then are supporting in what is that go-to-market strategy? How are we going to, um, how are we going to go after that audience and build out a plan to do so? And I think that that whole strategic plan in then lead management turning into revenue, it's all part of that value creation plan to to get the ROI that Randall's speaking about. Um, I think the other thing is that Interestingly, we see even this year, some organizations are taking this time to invest in refining their positioning and building out the brand value now, um, getting their CRMs in shape, right? So some of those foundational um, and operational aspects so that in anticipation that once the market opens back up, They'll be transaction ready, and I anticipate that we will see um, that increase. Right, some are doing it now, but I think others, um, you know, they'll get an indicator, and we'll start to see more of that. Uh, more of that effort.
0: So, so value creation plans, keeping on, keeping on, and looking forward, and believing that. It will change. It will pick back up again and keeping one's voice heard. These are the takeaways. Anything you want to add before we close up this very interesting conversation? No, I don't believe so. I think it's all been said. I (laughs) think it was a great, yeah, great discussion.
1: I hope it was of of value to to those listening. And um, thank you, Nicole, for facilitating this. Not at all. Thank you very much for your
0: time, both. It's been a pleasure.
2: Thank you, Nicole. Appreciate the opportunity to sit down with you today.
0: And so that concludes another episode of the Pharma Forum podcast. You can find out more information about this episode, including a download link and information about previous installments of the series at pharmaforum.com forward slash podcasts. The Farmer Forum podcast is also available on iTunes, Spotify, Acast, Stitcher and Podbean, where you can find and subscribe by searching for Farmer Forum. Of course, don't forget to visit our website itself, where you can sign up for daily news and analysis bulletins and follow us on Twitter or X nowadays at, at Pharmaforum. Forum. That's all for now. Thank you for listening.